interview early in the year in February with my good buddy Mike Steimel worked with Mike on a video project took some photos for him for uh, some new music he was putting out winter time is never good for me the dreary weather it's just my energy level is never great so jumping down to edit I, I kind of put that off recorded a handful of interviews prepped some others and then got caught up in work I owe my buddy Mike the sincerest of apologies for taking so long to put this podcast out. It was uh, refreshing to listen to it after being away for so long. It was a lot of fun to uh, just just a give and take from it all. I've known Mike for about 20 years, aging myself there. Uh, We've had some good times, worked on some different projects. I've photographed uh, different bands of his and uh, have listened to many of the great songs that he has produced. Uh, he's been more of a, a producer uh, the past few years, has a lot of placements of songs and television and uh, and film projects. And, uh, and he, now he's jumping back to his roots, so to say, it, performing, writing, and just putting something out there. You know, that was very dear to his heart, piece of his soul, and just uh, songs that I just really enjoyed, incredible songs. And uh, very diverse, very diverse sounds. So you'll hear some of those in this podcast and get an idea of what he's all about. You can go to his Spotify, listen to more of his music, follow, subscribe, all those good things. You can follow me as well on my socials, uh, Facebook. Uh, I have uh, a page for my photography on there as well as a personal page. I have Instagram, Twitter, all those things. Or Twitter, it's not even called Twitter anymore. If I would have recorded this intro back in February, that's what it was. Now it is X, which I'm still wrapping my head around that one. But uh, yeah, follow along, respond. Let me know how you enjoy this here podcast. Hopefully one day Mike and I can grab a meal together over at Rockstar Tacos. Check out the great food there. Say hi to Will and Becca. Tell them you heard about them from Conversations with Calcaterra. Becca is a prior guest, so she's one of the alums of the podcast. And uh, just really cool people, really passionate about feeding St. Louis as well as many touring artists through their catering service. So when you go see a show at the factory, more than likely... Will and Becca are feeding your favorite bands. Awesome people. I'm sure Mike, uh, one point in his career, has jammed with Will, who is also a fantastic musician in his own right, plays out still with some cool projects, including one with Joe Meyer, who there is a podcast in the can with him. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate all the support. 
I've uh, rambled on long enough now. Mike has been waiting patiently to hear this podcast. Here it is, my good buddy, Mike Steimel. So, Mike, you uh, stopped by Wolfie's on the way over here, the iconic hot dog joint in uh, the St. Louis area. How was that? You know, it was pretty good. I have not been there in, I mean, since probably 2004. We used to stop there on the way out to just add water gigs, like on on the way down to Mississippi Nights or Kansas City or Columbia uh, when we were rehearsing at Dan Martin's house, which is just a few blocks from here. Right. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. Dan lived so close. Okay. He really did, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, and so that was before I was in this neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, I think he lived there in like 2001, two, somewhere like okay. that. But we would rehearse at his house, so when it was time to go to a gig, we would always you know, meet and load the van and the trailer over at his house, and then on the way before hitting the highway, stop at Wolfie's, get some food, and then hit the road. And I knew I had very little time to eat coming over here for our interview, so I thought... I should stop at Wolfie's. It's a good blast to the past. It really was. And the, the food was good. Of- I got the Kathy's hot dog, and it was uh, a little different than I thought. It had a really good piece of bacon on it and a good pickle but it and some mustard, but it also had cheese sauce. It said melted cheddar, but... It was cheese sauce, but so kind of like pretzel cheese. But oh, it was gotcha. it was really good. Yeah, cheese sauce. So you know, it has its it has its place in the world. It does <laughs> on that hot dog. Yeah. So it was just at water, or is there a picture of you on the wall there? There should be, but uh, I didn't see anything. Man, you guys, uh, do you have one lying around anywhere in a box? You should bring it there. Post. <laughs> I mean, as much as you ate there, you guys should have back in the day threw uh, one up there. Yeah, absolutely, and they're gonna be like, they who put it up? Who there. are you? Yeah. This should mean something to somebody. Yeah, you weren't a, you weren't a Channel Four newsman, so that's what uh, or Smash. I think Smash is on there. He's oh wow, a, Asher Ben Ruby. Yeah, he's a he's a friend and a previous guest of the podcast. Oh so, nice. Yeah, I think he's there. I know there's a JC, but uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So well, you get that. Smash. He actually the first time I ever got a song played on the radio regularly was when. I co-wrote a song with the Dead Celebrities, and it was a Christmas song called Santa Skipped My House This Year, and it's really good, I really love the catchy. Title. Yeah. We actually just re-recorded it a few months ago, and I'm looking to get it signed to a publisher for TV placements, but originally, it was probably around 1997, 98, um, we brought it to the station, got a meeting with Smash as he was in between songs on the air, you know, a song was playing and he could talk to us for a minute. He's like, all right, let's hear what you got, boys. And he put in the CD and heard the song. He's like, this is going on the air right now. This sounds like a hit. Nice. And he played it every day from then until Christmas for like a month, and it was really cool. So That's he, I cool. just always found him like, to be a very... Let me see what you got going on here, boys. <laughs> I just found him to be a really nice guy, and it yeah. was thrilling to impress him for a moment he's a great dude yeah, yeah it was amazing icon st louis icon absolutely and and he started out in new york he was on head he hosted headbangers ball for like a small uh smidge oh, wow. like it was like in between hosts or whatnot yeah. or he was there no i think he was maybe i've got to go back and listen to the podcast he was Made the interim host, and then he he moved here because he wanted to be closer to the family. So was oh, is he of, from St. Louis originally? No, he's from India, Indianapolis. Oh, okay. Yeah, his parents immigrated, and then uh, they immigrated to Indianapolis, and then uh, he after New York, he was at D. I think he was at DC one hundred and one. Then he went up to New York, and then uh, had the job opportunity at KC. Yeah, and I remember the very week when he started at KC. I was a regular listener at that time. Back in the day, it was probably about 1989, and he had joined the station, and then he went to the Funny Bone, 
when Kevin Kevin Nealon did a show like on a Friday night, and I think it was his first week, and uh, so I went to that show, saw Kevin Nealon, and I was like, hey, there's Smash, and said hi to him, and he was very nice. Yeah, and at that time, Casey was still one of those like powerhouse. I guess it was more of an independent station before all the conglomeration, right? And, buyouts and all that so yes. yeah but uh yeah that was when it was like something really cool now it's just uh like a lot of the other stations still iconic doing but, what they're doing yeah, oldies but goodies things kind of change <laughs> but speaking of really cool so around christmas time i uh i was over at planet score records i don't know if you've been over there in maplewood no. uh but that's uh, uh old high school friend uh, another Another, I guess you could say, friend of the show or guest of the show. He, uh, his younger brother, that's his place. And it's a cool record shop. Uh, I'll have to check that out. A lot of vinyl. So just went in there, just uh, killing some time, check out what they have. And uh, saw the Mississippi Nights book. And uh, as I'm, I'm perusing through it, the guy that's uh, the clerk there, he's like, hey, this is the author. And I was like, oh, no shit. What's the, what's the chances of that? Garrett. And, yeah, Garrett. And I met yeah. Garrett that night. It was, I think it was probably around Thanksgiving or whatnot, yeah. somewhere around then, and uh, doing that holiday shopping for myself. <laughs> but, um, yeah, picked up the book, start reading it. And then uh, at one point, I'm, I'm getting through there, and I start from you know cover to cover, and I get to page 111, and I see 2003, just add water. And I was like, what? I know. And then I see like just uh, numerous quotes from you. And I was like, damn it, I got to text Mike. And it was, I think it was either super early in the morning when I was reading it or late at night. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll text him later. I don't want to, you know, I don't like people. I'm kind of a business hour texter. And then, uh, and then I forgot to text you. And then like, it was like a week or so, a couple weeks later, you had called and you're like, hey man, come, uh, you want to come help me out on this video? I was like, <laughs> hell yeah. Nice. It was good. So Mississippi Nights, what, uh, you know, we're talking about iconic St. Louis institutions. Yes. What, what was, what did Mississippi Nights mean to you? Oh my gosh. To me, it was a fantasy at first because in the nineties, I used to go and see national acts there and the early two thousands that were on their way up or on their way down, or just that we're at that level. Like I saw Robert Palmer there with Power Station um, in like 1998, shortly before he passed away, and I got right up against the stage. I saw, oh, Nelly Furtado there, saw Bush, um, The Killers, and just when I was coming up in bands and, you know, local bands in the St. Louis area since like the early 90s, uh, I just always used to think, man, how great would it be not just to play Mississippi Nights, but to actually have people come there to see us and be excited and know the words to our songs and sing along. That's It meant a fantasy to me. And then, sure enough, uh, I joined a band called Just Add Water, and as soon as we had our first rehearsal, as I you know, stepped into this band as a rhythm guitar player, uh, this band was already in motion, but... We just uh, rehearsed in a bedroom where all we had for vocals, uh, amplification was a guitar amp that Steve sang through. And even with that, I was like, guys, in a year, we're going to be playing Mississippi Nights. You guys are awesome. <laughs> and it came to pass. Yeah, nice. And so how did that come about where you joined the band? So they were already established. They had the EP at that time, right? Yeah, it had just come out recently, um, three-song EP. And I remember hearing it. On the Point Local show, one of the songs, I was like, all right, cool, man. They sound good and everything. It didn't jump out to me that much. 
But um, how it came to be was I was a free agent at the time, was between bands, and really was probably going to give it up and just really focus on day career stuff because I was like, well, getting to be 30, probably nothing's going to happen. But um, just then, Daryl McClanahan, who was working at, what's the name of the studio there? Clayton Studios. Yeah. Uh-huh. Called me up and he's like, hey, I got these guys, this band that could really use somebody like you who's organized and has some experience in them to help kind of just help them along their path because you've been there a little bit, even though I was never in a big band or anything, I did have some good experience in what it took to show up and rehearse and get gigs and all that kind of stuff, just the nuts and bolts of it. So, and that's important. I mean, a lot of bands don't have that, and it just uh, it just shows the level. I mean, the level of success. We'll get into that. What just at Water had. It's just a lot of bands don't know how to take it up. I mean, that's not even really taking it up a level. That's having a solid foundation exactly. of business and communications and things like that. And a lot of artists you don't even want to deal with that. A lot of the time, absolutely. Like, Let's get a manager, have them deal with that, right? But. It's, uh, Nobody cares about your career as much as you do, so don't yeah. expect a manager to do it for you. Yeah, so, but he, yeah, so he introduced he, okay. us. Uh, I called up Steve Waller based on uh, based on Daryl's introduction, you know, or invitation to call him, and we had a talk. Went and auditioned with him, and like I said, that was that first rehearsal, and I was like, "Holy cow, this is good." We're, we got a tiger by the tail. Is the exact words I said. We got a tiger by the tail, and this is special and we need to really work on this and focus if we want to do this. And Daryl introduced us. So that was, yeah. uh, he was always a good matchmaker for sure. So he had called me at one point and said, Hey, these guys just did water. And I had heard of you guys right. and probably seen you playing with like Somnia or Javier yeah. or uh, n- numerous bands at that time. I was really into the scene and uh, he's like, yeah, just did water. I'm like, yeah, I, I know about those guys, <laughs> but nice. uh, I, I don't know why I don't know any of them as much at that time, as much as I was entrenched right. in, uh, in the music scene. but uh, We were a bunch of nobodies just showing up. <laughs> <laughs> you had a name. You had a name. So, but yeah, it was cool. And then we... Uh, you know, we we met and uh, and put the, a series of videos together, and that Absolutely. was just the project was a blast. That was the most fun I think I've ever had with uh, creating videos. And part of that, when you talk about the business regimen and working hard and all that, it was you were the, you were that band that when I showed up, I mean, you had some ideas, and so we leapfrogged. Then I threw out some ideas, of course, and then. Uh, it's just one of those things like no other you had the wall of amps <laughs> and you bring in tony from mississippi nights and uh, to run lights to, yeah to yeah. bring in lights and run them yeah yeah so you had all that set up and i think we might have just had a few lights that we did just to bring up certain levels right. or whatnot but just the fact that it's uh it was kind of a ready-made turnkey type solution we'll bring in the cameras block it out and do all that that's just I don't know, that just doesn't happen a lot. So, you know, kudos to you. Well, there was uh, a for, lot of a lot of Pete Lang in that and as far as making that set happen and uh, nice. for Clint for having all those amps, you know, we put together every single amp we could and made my janky 1917 basement look like it was some <laughs> gigantic fantasy rock set with a wall of amps behind us like we were a Kid Rock's band or something. 
And it, and it was such a cool way. I mean, that area, and that was the cool thing about your basement. There was in Maplewood the, the different sections and whatnot. Yeah. So we had you had that area set up. Tony had the lights, and then we uh, and then we were able to utilize the other sections the by bar. making it this party scene. So yeah. we we initially, I mean, uh, we wound up with that having like the three different segments. So each song had its own personality, and and God was I uh, God was the first one we shot. We did yeah. that. Like one evening, then we did the party stuff the next evening. Yeah. And your, your crew worked so hard. You and your crew just were so dedicated. We were very appreciative of it. It was a good team, and that's great. When you talk about Clint bringing what he brought to the table yeah. and Pete and everybody else. And Dan, just, Dan doing construction, I'm sure. There was Danny, ha- yeah. hanging lights and building building some wooden things like drum riser and all that. I'm I'm pretty certain he probably had a pretty big hand in that as well. And then our singer Steve, he showed up. No, <laughs> just kidding. Steve brought the talent for sure. But uh, but that's just one of those things that you guys had that I you had all that done. So it was uh, I didn't even know what was going on. So it was really, really, really cool. And it just worked out. It was just a lot of fun. That was just really such was. a great project. And we, uh, and Deuce, we forget to mention. Oh, absolutely. You know, he was, I think he was getting everybody signing releases, yeah. bringing them in. And it was... Uh, Putting up notices like you will be on film, blah, blah. By being here, you release the rights to your image and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you had, didn't you have, uh, you had this little area, I think it... It was like a little cellar-looking area that was like gravel or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And so we did that where we had, uh, in the whole premise of it, and I don't even know if it's on YouTube or what. I mean, that was before Maybe the of days it. of YouTube. Yeah. Maybe parts of it. Um, so, and I still get you, I've got to find you a DVD as yes. well. But um, that was one of those things where it was, um, yeah, too bad that we didn't have that because we put so much time and I effort know. into it. But it was cool. All the people came together, and that one song where we had uh, initially the or the um, premise of it was some people over here. You having a party, or you have a rehearsal, yeah, and it becomes a party. And then we had it where they infiltrated your, um, you know, the rehearsal space. Yes, and then it was uh, then we went into God, and then uh, that was kind of where we I, I did a, an effect where it just disappeared the crowd, and that was like the bands you know, a more introverted, solitary type situation. Yes. And then we went into the third one was like the culmination of both. It was like, all right, we accept that these fans are here partying. Yeah, it, and was, it, it was such a fun video. I don't know who, it, I don't know if it was a working keg or not, but at one point, one of Probably. the scenes we had some people coming up the driveway carrying that keg and then yeah. they like, Bar- they like sneak in through some people come like bursting in through your window <laughs> and then the other people came in through the, uh, like that cellar area, which was really cool. And then it's like, boom, right into you guys playing. And it was just, it was that cool. was just I can't magical. I to watch that again. It's been so many years it's, since it's I've seen so it. It's been so many years since I watched it. It's nice yeah. to talk about that because it, it seems like with art and whatnot, you kind of forget about the older right. projects as they're done. On to the next. And then you're on to the next thing. And then we get to the point where we're at, you know, a little older. And it's like, man, what's going, what am I doing right now? And then you think like, that was pretty damn cool. That was a good I did moment. go back on one point though, the keg. You don't know whether it was real or not. We were sponsored by Budweiser. Better believe we didn't have any fake empty kegs. <laughs> yeah. So did Budweiser or did they provide that? I keg? don't remember, but probably we got it or bought it through their distributor. But they used to nice. deliver while we were sponsored by them for probably a couple of years. They used to 
a, a van would pull up and deliver six cases of beer, a variety of beer, to my house there in Maplewood every single month, six cases. And it, sure enough, those trash cans would be full of cans and bottles, and the beer would be gone within a couple of weeks. <laughs> but I used to have a fridge in the basement where you open it up, and I had everything perfectly faced in rows, mm-hmm. row after row of beer in there, and it, <laughs> it was kind of nice. Definitely. It's yeah. good. And you guys really had a, a lot of that going. Was that a, a culmination of everyone working together to make that happen? To, the sponsorship? Uh, just everything. Yeah, the sponsorship. And was the sponsorship, was that when you played in Vegas? Was that through your sponsorship or was that something else? That was a, an opportunity that Ken Williams actually brought to the table. I guess he had uh, had connections with the brewery and it was a nationwide um nationwide um, kind of marketing plan to have uh, true music. It was the true music program. And I remember Ken Williams had people to Llewellyn's in the Central West End. He's like, hey, we're going to do a live broadcast from here. If you're interested in submitting your band for um, the true music, Budweiser true music program, bring your CD and uh, let me know about it so I can get you introduced or have, you know, pass it along to them and have them listen and consider you. And the funny thing is, I kind of, I went there, but I saw everybody kind of promoting themselves and I was like, ah, we're not going to get it anyway. I'm not, I'm not going to turn it in. And that was like on a Saturday night. And on the next day I was at my parents' house and telling my mom about it. And she's like, you mean you didn't give me your CD? And I was like, no, she's like, you should do that. And I was, so I emailed Ken and I was like, Hey Ken, I should have given you the CD to be considered for this program. And I didn't, can I still get it in? He's like, sure. And wouldn't you know it? It wasn't too much longer. A few days or a few weeks later, we were playing a, a Sunday night show at Cicero's uh, with nobody but uh, Budweiser or you know Bush Beer Products. Yeah. I'm sorry, um, executive team there to watch us. Yeah. We put on a special show just for them, and uh, we ended up getting it. So that was a great thing for us. See, sometimes even at 30 years old or in your 30s, <laughs> you know, you need your parents to give you that push. That's right. Absolutely. Like, what the hell are you thinking? Exactly. So good for your mom. That's great, Absolutely. man. That's great. So going back, so then we're, you know, that was around, I think that was around 2003 yes. when we did yeah. that. Yeah. And then at, uh, then we put that out. Was that? There was a party. That was at Mississippi Nights, wasn't it? Yeah, we there was did like a release. A, a release party. Yeah, and unfortunately it ended up kind of being our farewell and DVD uh, release show and all in one, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, that was in. Uh, I think that was in August of 2004 when we actually uh, released that. I could be wrong. Maybe yeah. I might be mixing things up. No, you're but, right. It yeah. was somewhere around then because yeah. maybe it was yeah around two because we we uh, we filmed that or you know recorded it video yeah. and back then. But uh, we did that. I think it was probably still maybe February or so because I yeah. remember it being somewhat cold out. Okay, so um, it so sounds yeah, totally think, believable. That timeline would make sense with the editing time and all that to get it done for yeah, August. I think August because I know Pete and uh, Chris, and I'm forgetting yeah. Chris's last name. Miller, Chris, Chris Miller. Miller. Yeah. yeah, he was awesome. He uh, they cut one song, I cut the other two. Nice, and we we put them all together, and yeah. you know the the Jaw trilogy. Yeah. So that was awesome. So yeah, so then we're back again. So we circled back. So we're back to Mississippi Nights. There's that farewell show. And uh, so, you know, bittersweet. Yeah, it was bittersweet. This great project. And it's, you know, we're celebrating that, but then celebrating the band. But it's like, okay, this is is the end. I mean, how were you feeling at that time? Crushed. (laughs) No doubt. I was was a bit crushed too. Yeah, because I mean, the one thing... 
I never wanted to have was regret that we didn't try. And that band at the time, I was in it from New Year's Eve 1999 going into 2000 until 2004. And while, yeah, it was only less than, I guess it was a little over four years, it seemed like a lifetime at the time. And it felt like my identity. I mean, I put everything, all my money, (laughs) credit cards, um, hopes and everything and career plan and life plan into that band because I just because every time we would play for any kind of industry person they would give us positive feedback mm-hmm. and be interested in working with us further so it felt like just a matter of time until we got in front of like the right label the re- right relationship and uh, they would see in us what every it seemed like everybody was seeing and uh, we can make a career of this and at least make a living at it for a while and take our hack take our swing up at up at bat but uh, to have it end before we got that final, you know, attempt and really put out an album nationwide with promotion, that hurt, you know, to lose that opportunity for sure. It's one of those things, you know, anything, entertainment industry, you know, professional sports, anything big like that, when you're going for those big dreams, it's usually somebody's grinding away for 5, 10, 15 years before they're known. Exactly. So those were those grind away years where you're putting everything you have into it and and doing all that. But that's the thing with, with art as well, and you, especially with a band. You're dealing with multiple personalities and, uh, you know, people got to make money and yeah. uh, got to do, you know, life is There were is kids, in there, there were yeah. families involved. And, you know, as you get in your 30s and you're, you're dealing with real life and people's marriages and kids and jobs and everything and that's really hard to keep what five people aligned in their 30s for multiple years all with the same goal and how you're going to achieve it that is very difficult to maintain for very long no doubt no doubt but you did have a good time with it you put out a couple of killer albums absolutely Uh, that self-titled album just uh, i mean the first one was a lot of fun but then that that next one just was like boom just jumped up into the stratosphere it's it's funny because some people think the other way that we went and made a wrong turn and it's the first album that they really love it's opinions vary but uh, i like them both and i think i'm probably biased because that second album was where the songs came from that we worked on true and we did like god we did that where Nowadays, you have the technology where you can do like we did that time lapse with the drum, or we yeah. did it where it was a wraparound shot. Yeah, it wasn't really time. We shot it like time lapse. Yeah, somewhat, but it was where we wanted to get the camera to, you know, get that wraparound when Pete is on the drum solo to start behind him and to get into the front. And it was like, I mean, I didn't have, I mean, there was gear out there, but that was not anything I, that I knew that was available in St. Louis or anything that I right. could afford. Right. And so my buddy Jason Cleveland, who was the director of photography on that, he put together, just made something out of wood. Yeah, like a wooden jig or what would yeah, you yeah, call we that? Yeah, we just basically, Pete had to do that solo, I think it was like 50 or 60 or oh, 80 like, times. And it was such a hard solo. Yeah, where we, <laughs> it was, yeah. but I, I knew no other way to do it. So it yeah. was like he played the solo, we moved it. Played the solo, we moved it. We yeah, played the solo. And this solo. is the camera circling around the drum kit. Yeah, and and Chris Miller and Pete cut that together. That was probably a giant pain in the butt. Uh, I was cutting that together, falling asleep on the couch while they were editing it and you know, yeah. watching them. <laughs> so Chris Miller, kudos to him wherever he's at these days. But man, that was that turned out amazing. So that was just yeah, one of those really things good. you got to be, you know, have some sort of ingenuity and in how do you do those things? And when you're, 
you know, at that point, more young, you know, young and ambitious and you right. want to do this and something to prove. It was, that was a cool thing. So, so you finish up at, you know, we finish up Mississippi Nights, uh, farewell show. Uh, did you know the authors back in the day? The I book? don't think I knew them. Not that I'm aware of, but I can tell you I'm very appreciative of the effort they put into that book because I don't know how accurate everybody else's story was, but ours for having them interview probably over email multiple members of the band individually telling their own version of what happened you know the story of our band and in relation to mississippi nights and to weave that into a story that seems accurate from everything (laughs) i know that it was amazing like i've never been interviewed in a newspaper or a book and have them even spell my name right much less get my story (laughs) straight much less multiple people telling the same story and have it all blend so i really want to commend them on uh accurate work uh, that you can tell was from the heart for them to put that much work into that entire book and have it come out well so it was it's amazing they covered so many years yes and just all the ticket stubs they had and i reading it i just felt like man i totally missed out i didn't get into the music scene till after college so that was Same probably here. early 2000 and it was it was a good time then there were the you guys there was somnia there was all these bands coming through but I didn't, you know, looking back at these great bands that I've, I've got CDs and I listen to their records or on Spotify. Yeah. It's like, and they oh, played there. Man. Yeah. And you could have seen them at the small place. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, too, too much. Uh, I, I don't know. Just nobody was there to get me into the scene when I was right. younger. So I'm glad I, I did get into it when I did. I'm so glad was, you did. And I can tell you what a thrill it is for me personally to have Just Add Water have. The entire chapter of 2003 named after us like we're the headliner of the chapter that's awesome uh, like i said it was a dream to just ever play there and have people know the words to our songs but to have um a hardcover book come out 20 years later and have a chapter of it named after us that's crazy humbling and uh, flattering for sure yeah yeah it's good memories to look back on and it just shows that what you did made a difference thank you Um, so much for that how much writing did you do when you were in that band um, definitely Steve was the main, uh, lyric writer for sure. And I was a co-writer, but, uh, everybody definitely had their input on the songs for sure, as far as arrangements or chord progressions. But, uh, a lot of times Steve would, and I would pair up to, you know, put together and construct a song and then bring it to the band and then have it be arranged and turned into something better. At that point, did you see yourself as much of a writer? Um, I thought I had potential, but I didn't feel like I had could master the whole the whole process of songwriting. So I wish I would have like taken some classes and, and especially taken the opportunity to get with professional songwriters and co-write with them and just learn learn the craft. I feel like we had the knack and we had whatever whatever inspiration and ability it takes to write songs that are pretty decent, but I wish I would have studied just the craft of songwriting a little more, and just and then just like I said, co-written with an established uh, professional songwriter because you never know. Like all you need is that one song to break through, and that can make your career. And just we had some songs that were really strong, but maybe they didn't quite fit mm-hmm. on the radio at the time, and maybe pairing up with a big time producer or songwriter, or even just one who could be who knows could have turned that key and just made it work for us but just look at how many bands have 
they seem like a breakout, like Kings of Leon, for instance. You know, they have, they come out with, and I'm blanking on the name of the album, but it was... Um, the one in was, 2008 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Lo- and it's, Love Somebody Like You or whatever. Exactly. Was. Man, I heard it, that and I was like, that's a monster hit. Exactly. And then I find out later that was their fourth album. Yeah. And nobody, I mean, I, I'm... Well, Steve Waller of Just Had Water loved him for years and I would listen oh, and be like, no. eh, yeah. I don't get it. But then when that album came out, it was different. Yeah, yeah. It was like Pantera had a couple albums before they found their sound. So this is one of those things that some bands have multiple albums before it clicks. And then you're like, oh, this band's, this undiscovered band, as we talked about, who's been grinding it out for however many years before that. Right. So you just don't know. Yeah, you don't don't know. know. Certainly, I think uh, Just Edwater would have figured something out and turned some corner uh, to make a living at it if we had kept up. You know, probably the key would have been to stop playing so many shows because, you know, the concept at the time, which a lot of people subscribe to, is to go own like six markets, to go, you know, own your hometown as far as having a following and then start to branch out within 100 miles and be able to show that you're a s- sustainable business on your own and then a label could feel comfortable investing with you. But really what I, I think having the skills to put on a show, which we did, and then adding a hit song, <laughs> that could make a big difference. So less shows, more songwriting, more co-writing, that sort of thing. It worked for the Beatles. They had like no shows. Yeah. And then uh, they were just writing all those years. But well, they different. what they went and played cover gigs over in Germany, right? Hamburg. That's how they for years. started yeah. out. Yeah, that was where yeah. they cut their teeth. And even a lot of their first album was covers, right? I think yeah. so at first. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and then they mixed in a few covers throughout up until probably – Maybe Revolver. Yeah. And then I think at that point, it was all them. No, then they did... Oh, no. Uh, what did they do? Uh, oh, rubber Soul. I don't she know came a lot through of their the, stuff. through the uh, bedroom window. Was yeah. that... Uh, I don't know. No, Joe Cocker covered that. I mean, they're like yeah. the most covered band. So yeah. I that was a band that like I heard cover versions of their songs, and that threw me off. But Yes. But talking about songs, so we're talking about songwriting there and jumping ahead, what, probably 10 years later, 2014, is that when you reconnected with Steve in L.A. and yeah, you well, started what's, writing? What's funny is, um, so that was 2004 when we broke up, and I was, I was pretty hurt about the whole thing, so I didn't talk to him for a couple of years, for three years. And then I was like, you know what, man, he always said how he wanted to write. I'm going to reconnect with this guy and see if he wants to write, write some songs. So I reached out. He was all for it. He's like, yeah, let's write some songs. I'm like, yeah, I'm starting to get to where I can record on my own, produce on my own. I think together we could write some good songs. That was 2007. So we decided, and I was like, hold on, I'm going to go go away for the weekend, go visit my parents in Florida, and when I come back, let's get right after it. And uh, I did that. That was October of uh, 2007, and when I came back, I had a basically a job waiting for me in California. <laughs> so... Uh, I was like, all right, Steve, I guess we're going to be trying this long distance. And whenever we're in each other's cities, we'll, we will, uh, try to write. So, uh, I moved to California and that was a whole career change and life change and everything. But it's funny because that was right when we reconnected and who knows what would have happened. But eventually I got him to move out there too. He, his wife and kids moved out and we started writing again. Um, I think that was 2012 when he moved out somewhere right around there, but um, we started uh, a new project called Good Looking Animals and uh, started writing again with the focus of getting placements on television. And probably our biggest song 
was called How You Do It, and that got placed in a lot of TV shows. And actually, you know, even on Spotify, it got something like forty or fifty thousand plays, which I couldn't believe. For nice. Nobody, nobody banned. It got in 13 Reasons Why, and they put it on their playlist oh, that's cool. for the show. Yeah. And that is what generated a lot of traffic, but it was good. Yeah, I mean, just when he and I get in a room and write songs, it seems to come out pretty well, typically. And it, and it just goes to show you, when you get that placement, look at recently uh, Stranger Things. So they had, yeah. they had, of course, Metallica, Master of Puppets. It was a more known song. And then that um, that just, like, shot up the chart, the Spotify yeah, you know, charts, and I think people went back and and started buying the Master Pubs album as well. Wow! Um, and then that exposure makes a huge difference. Yeah, and then there was a female singer. Yeah, running up that hill is the song. I'm blanking on her her name. Yeah, man, it's just like I I didn't know we were going to be talking about this, so I didn't do any research. But <laughs> Me either. Uh, and my brain, you know, is like I'm I'm having trouble remembering all this. There's too much information. It's like my hard drive's full. I need to. I don't know what to Mine's purge. Mine's half empty. It's just not working well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was another song that really just, uh, you know, surged. And it's yeah. like, I had never heard that song or that artist. Yeah. But it's just having your song in that kind of placement. Or like we look at, uh, like with the St. Louis Blues, when they were doing the Stanley Cup, there's Gloria. Yes. And then uh, what is, uh, oh, and then this one. I mean, I I can dig some John Denver Oh but yeah, I don't know Country why. Roads. I don't know why people sing that at a Cardinals game, but uh, it just uh, that one doesn't yeah, and make a blues sense game, to me. I think they do. Country oh, is that? Was roads. It, I, I was think the so. Blues I'm game? not. I'm not 100 sure. Yeah, they also do a lot of Ric Flair woos at uh, uh, both yes. those events. Way, way so. too many. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just one of those things where you just never know when you know that different piece of media yeah is really going to resonate with people that's true and then and then your song being a part of that and setting the mood so that's really coming I mean, Forty thousand. that's that's pretty neat because i haven't even heard of that really heard of that show personally for yeah. me yeah so that's cool so man. i guess they had a lot that's of really kids cool. a lot of a lot of young people watch that and of course that's who really goes after and researches artists and gives mm-hmm. them a good listen and shares the music so that was pretty flattering that the young people listen to our music. <laughs> and the music is so cyclical where it's like something, I wouldn't say out of favor, but it's just not, there's so much out there that right. something else is the flavor of the of the, of the era. Yes. And then it's, uh, then you come back and it's just like, whoa, that song from the seventies. Yes. And then at some point, maybe your song resurfaces on something else. And then it's like, that's yeah, you the never hot know. song again. You never know. That one, that song, one publisher who got us the biggest placements. Um, this is the only publisher I know of that actually you can go in and log into your account and see that your song has been placed and basically what to, if you can figure it out, it'll just be like the name of a show or a movie or whatever. And sometimes you have to Google and figure out what it is, but they actually show how many pitches you've uh, had on a given song of the multiple songs I've signed to them. And that one just gets pitched over and over and I've seen it get pitched probably at least a hundred times and it's gotten a lot of placements but uh, you can tell the publisher believes in that one and they must be getting good feedback because they keep pitching it Mm -hmm. so many times and it's from 2014 so (laughs) it's still doing it it's like almost a decade and it still has legs I guess it's it doesn't really conform to any era or style Mm -hmm. so it still to me sounds fresh it's not like 70s sounding or 80s or any particular decade. It's a little bit unique. And some of those songs, yeah, that's where it, where it doesn't 
belong to a particular era. Timeless. Yeah, it can Jan, be timeless. you know evergreen, evergreen. <laughs> exactly. It can be in more shows. You Hopefully know, the, so. The singer. But I need song, to make more. That's the problem. There I could, you go. I could be more successful if I just made more songs. Well, you are making more. You're uh, finally. I mean, you're doing it, but it's tough. You know, it you got tough. a you got an exhausting day job. You're doing Ooh. really well with that. Um, it's like, man, hard to be a rock star in multiple areas, <laughs> but uh, you're a rock star project manager. Oh, thank and you. And now you're getting back to, uh, we'll say the roots, getting back. Yes. Recording, and you have a new project out, which, uh, tell us about that project. Well, my name is Mike Steimel, so I decided to release my uh, second solo project. So back in, well, let's go back to the roots and make this a fully formed story, right, Ken? Um, so when Just Had Water broke up, I just decided, you know what? I'm frustrated with uh, some band members who don't stick to it and let me down. I said, I can fail by myself. I'm going to show that I'm growing as a songwriter and make my own album. Well, that was uh, the end of 2004, early 2005 when I started that process and then I was rudely interrupted by uh, being asked to join Jonathan Kors band, which was a really great experience. Very talented songwriter, and it was like an all-star lineup of musicians Absolutely. who I loved. Yes. And so, of course, I couldn't say no. I, I jumped right into that band. Um, and then just whenever I did have time, I would write a little more on, on my album. Then the opportunity came to move to California. Well, that was pulling up roots and learning a whole new career mm -hmm. in IT project management, which I probably didn't deserve, but somebody thought I deserved a shot. So I did that. And so finally, back in, in like 2008, 2009, I started getting serious about my album again, finished it, put it out. And, uh, almost immediately, uh, was asked by a publisher to, uh, sign my songs with them and for use in television and, and to make money on the side. I said, yes. And almost immediately started getting lots and lots of placements like on cable TV Etc. Mm -hmm. And then that opened up the door uh, with that success. Like all of a sudden, oh, well, you know, I've got a little uh, channel there to the industry to yeah. get songs on television. So that sort of attracted yeah. better singers, you know, again, like Steve yeah. Waller and Shannon Rock, good singers that I could co write with and get songs on TV. You know, and that was when I was living in California. And so I, instead of yeah. doing my own solo stuff anymore, I was really focusing on way better singers than me. And I liked it that way because cool. I didn't have to worry about trying to be a, a strong singer yeah. when I'm not really a strong singer. Yeah. Well, well, jumping, I mean, looking at that, so you're saying working with these talented artists, that yeah. was an inspiration to you. Absolutely. You know, jumping back to the time with, you know, the Jonathan Core band. Yeah. Um, I mean, you were, Dave Allen's was guitar yeah. and what backup vocals on that. I mean, because yeah. he was, you know, great singer songwriter in his own right. Absolutely. Had, had many different bands. Uh, Grant Essig, you know, another yeah. guitarist. Another, Seven Star. Yeah, another yeah. great songwriter. So he's done a lot of creation you know since then yeah uh you know with vocals instrumentals things for advertising and whatnot um you know jonathan was a talented guy still is um, is he still performing yeah he, he uh recently put out an ep and that was really like man he's doing this i gotta do this again okay cool i enjoyed yeah. the album that uh that that was created back in yeah. you know when you were with him right. that was cool matt hickenbotham was on drums and he was just uh you know talented guy from colony and yes. then uh you know moving up working with you guys and just incredible i mean when you're playing with guys like that just i mean what kind of inspiration does that give you to really step oh. up your 
uh, you know, your solo efforts to, you know, it's like to be on the level with such great artists. Yeah. I mean, I knew that if uh, playing with those guys, that if I was going to put something out on my own, that I was really going to have to step it up and do my best and uh, be into it, fully invested in it. Cause those guys were amazing. And for me to like back in the day, seeing colony opening up for colony before I was even in just Edwater water when they were getting songs on TV, when that was a rare thing into that someday I would be in the same band with Matt, uh, is such a fun, charismatic guy who's such a powerful drummer to be in the same band with him. You know, from the first time I saw them, if you told me that was going to happen, I would not believe it for sure. Yeah, and they had uh, what was it, two thousand? They had that song in um, Dawson's Rat, the Rat Race. Oh, in Rat Race, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Rat Race. But even like in the late nineties, um, it was they got a song in Dawson's Creek when that was a pretty rare thing for an independent band to do. Yeah, yeah, it was like a band from St. Louis at that time. I was thinking like, you know, it was like larger than life because I didn't see yeah. how, you know, I didn't know of so many St. Louisans and what they were doing at that time. It was it just, just a wasn't band of personalities. I mean, they were yeah. all like doctors and scientists and stuff like that in college, you know, studying on those paths. Um, so just a bunch of smart guys. And of course, the singer Ted Bruner, a great and very successful songwriter. Yeah, so, he's he's yeah, Ted's amazing. I enjoy, you know, yeah. keeping up the communication with him via yeah. Facebook and all that. And, and when he's he, just a great, nice guy. Too. Yeah, Very when he genuine. comes into town, it's always great to grab a meal or something. Absolutely, just awesome dude. So yeah. as far as yeah, having to step up to be on the level with those guys, a hundred percent. Because no way do I consider myself as talented as all those people. Not that great of a singer. Definitely not that great of a player. But I can go down into my basement like a squirrel with a nut and polish it for two years and come out with something shiny to show. So that's my approach. And just that, those skills as a producer. So doing that, being able to work with artists and bring out the best of them, that's, I mean, that's a huge skill. That's a skill as a project manager that, that's, uh, you know, that's a good tool to have in your toolbox there. Yeah, try my best for sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, so, you know, just to, get back on the track of what I'm doing now. I had to throw down that, uh, had to throw down that background. So the mid 20 teens happened and it was time to move back to St. Louis. And I sort of moved away from all the, my talent, my singers. And I used to just love every Tuesday and Thursday night when I lived out in California, just getting together with one of those co-writers and just creating. And we, uh, used my buddy Kevin's um, converted garage slash pool house and we called it Cobra Studios and just having that creative space where there was no dumb ideas we were not going to laugh at e- each other for throwing out different lines and, and song ideas and it was just a really good time to collaborate a good time in life there and so when I moved back and I didn't have that collaboration I kind of lost my fire for music and again stepping up the day career which was mm-hmm. stressful a lot of stress and that was really just crushed my fire for music. So the time came a couple of years ago when I was feeling the urge, like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how I can make my own album again because (laughs) I've certainly learned a lot since my 2009 album. It's time to see if I can make my voice work and use all these new tricks and tools that I've learned in the meantime that I've been using to make other great singers sound even better. What if I use those on myself and see what happens? And I was thinking about it. I was on the edge because there's things you have to do when you're doing a solo album where you're playing and recording and writing and mixing and mastering and promoting everything yourself. I was like, man, do I really want to do this with my life, my real life day to day? And I was talking about it around the campfire um, 
down in Arkansas on a little weekend trip with some family and my brother-in-law he's like he's like you should do it I'm like man I'm not that good of a singer and it's just so hard he's like yeah but you put it all together like nobody else I know and that made me think like you know I'm not making it for the whole world I'm making it for my friends and family because maybe I am the best producer they know because they don't (laughs) know anybody else so (laughs) why not you know and so I just took that impetus of his perspective on on the best one he knows at it I was like all right think small to just friends and family and make it for them so that's that's what this did I made a five song EP called love of another which I think is my best solo writing and production and managed to pull off some vocals not perfect Uh, I'm not a belter or a gifted singer by any means but I use some tricks and sang a little softer to do my best to make it sound good It works for the songs. So, you know, as someone, I've never really heard you sing, and I didn't know what to expect from it. <laughs> and so I the first time I heard it, you sent it to me, I guess, on a Wednesday night. And then uh, Thursday, I, I listened to it maybe two times, and then go the over song, to your house. Yeah, the song called Never Mind the Start. The yeah, single. Never Mind the Start. And somehow, I'm kind of just, uh, you know, I had a freelance gig that day. And I load up all the gear. I come home. I'm driving to your house. And a song is going through my head. And I hadn't heard your song enough to know what I was listening to. And I'm, I've am i got this melody going through my head and all this. And I'm like, where have I heard that? And I'm, <laughs> and I'm kind of humming it. And you're like, you're digging like, oh, yeah, man, you got the song down. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've only listened to your song a couple of times. And then I... I had all this other stuff to do that I didn't, you know, I wasn't listening it on the way there. It was running in the back of your mind. But it was really catchy, just two listens, and it was there. So, I mean, that's like a credit to you, man. I got you good, man. Thank you. And not in a bad way where you're like, (laughs) I can't get this damn song out of my head. It was was like, I'm like, I'm digging this vibe. And then you're like, yeah, it's a song. And then so we... (laughs) We, I don't know, we went till probably like 12, 1230, just yeah, recording, shooting video. you know, some different shots and whatnot, and uh, you're putting that together, and I give you credit there, you're, you know, do-it-yourself type of guy, where, you know, it was great, I'm glad you called me, because it was so much fun collaborating with you, I hadn't really done, you know, any super cool projects in a while, it's been a lot of corporate, and, you know, hey, right. feed my bank account type yeah, work, man. so it was really refreshing, to get back into it you know i've been a lot of stills my creativity lately has been more stills so to right. actually jump in to somebody i know uh that works hard and cares about the craft both craft the craft of songwriting and and producing music and the craft of the videos that go along with it i mean you kick butt man you set up <laughs> your basement where you you know you made a nice scene there you put up some lighting i have my little workout area in the basement which and it's all there's cluttered boxes and everything but i just took a black background that i had and hung it up and 
got a couple of LED lights and made a little rock and roll fantasy area. And it was and great, I man. Certainly appreciate you coming over and putting in that effort, and especially after you uh, showed me how heavy that camera is, and I held it for a minute. I was like, "How did you do that for like four hours, man?" I appreciate your effort I, so much. I was much. in the zone, man. I wasn't thinking about it, but the <laughs> days after it was that was a good workout. Is that why but... your one arm is ten times as big as the other? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm home. like that dude. Did you ever see that M Night Shyamalan Ding Dong movie? Uh, <laughs> no. It was uh, it was a horrible movie. It was I think it was called Lady in the Water. And this dude, this one character, he would just, he would curl. He had his barbell, <laughs> one. just one arm. <laughs> and so his one arm was super jacked. And then the other arm was just normal. It's like the guys that skip leg day. Yes. They're like really pumped up. Yeah, but big then, chest and, and tiny then got, little bird legs. Yeah, little bird legs. So, so you have your Ken camera arm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm not doing it enough yet to, you know, with that rig to... Uh, <laughs> to get that but that was fun man yeah, that it was, was a lot I'm, of fun i'm so brought glad back you memories called. of yeah. working with you it was good to you know certainly i'm not comfortable being on camera performing when i sit at a desk all day and haven't performed in front of a camera in years and you made me comfortable though you're it, like yeah. you're like dance mike yeah. it'll look cool dance <laughs> and he's like it'll look cool and i'm thinking oh my gosh but you shot it in slow motion, and then yeah, it, I was like, hey, hold on. There are moments here where it looks all right. Thanks, yeah. Ken. And that's the thing. That's the cool thing about music videos. And so if we're talking like people that I know at times, uh, somebody just reached out to me and it's like, hey, you know, somebody I know is in high school. They want to go to film school. Would you chat with them? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, heck yeah, I will. And it's just, it's cool. I'm, I'm getting jazzed again about talking about the craft and that was just one of those areas that was just so much fun just throwing out ideas and you're you were you were receptive to it even though you're a little uncomfortable like i don't usually do this i don't you know <laughs> i'm i'm not uh you know on camera a lot i'm not I'm, a gifted performer i would say <laughs> you did great with it and as i was saying music videos are one you can kind of cheat so you throw exactly you pick the best elements mm -hmm. and we've got a few shots that don't need to be you know synced to the song yes. that you can use and then you're going to put some other elements like you've done with stock footage and whatnot to yeah. tell some sort of story there. So it's it's a work in progress. And I'm really excited to see what you do and hopefully to collaborate with you a little bit more and help, Absolutely. You, help you bring it out and then share it out there to the world. I can't wait. I can't um, wait. Hopefully I don't look too, too dorky. But maybe I will. We'll see. <laughs> well, the promo you did that is on the Spotify where yeah. you took three or four of the shots and did the loop. I mean, yeah, that turned out great. Yeah, I think they great. call that a canvas. So when you're when you're on Spotify playing a song, and my song is playing, you can see a little loop of like eight seconds of video, and that was fun to make. That I was like, man, I hope the rest of this turns out that well because this is cool. See, I didn't see it until you had it. I'm kind of a cheap bastard. I didn't, uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm not going to pay for the full Spotify. full Spotify. I'll just listen to ads. But then when I saw that, it's like on your phone, I was like, whoa, wait, these are the video. What What's yeah. going on here? Canvas background That's video cool, to make man. it look like something's going on. That's cool. So jumping back to the EP. So, yeah. I, so of course, um, uh, never mind the start. I say that right? Yeah, never mind the start. That's the okay. single. I'm so horrible with uh, with titles. I heard, I've heard the song so many times; it's burned <laughs> into my brain in a good way. <laughs> and it's just way. like, okay, yeah, I got that. I'm off with the title. And then it was the the fourth song is too much. Um, yes. Okay, it is so too I'm much. Do, You're I'm doing doing it. all right. I'm I'm never good with titles. I'm always like. You got to listen to track number six on because I listen to music in my car right, right. and I don't have the display because uh, yeah. I listen to CDs still because I yeah. like I really love the robust sound. Absolutely, so, too much. I had sent you a note after I listened to it a few yes. times 
It was Mike. Dude, I like the I like the vibe, you know, the Duran Duran vibe. And you're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, num- song number four, man. Song number four. And uh, that's just, I, I love that vibe, man. Thank that's got that so 80s. Much. What was, what were you thinking? What was behind that? When well, you were... I'll tell you what was behind it. That was actually the first song when I decided to fire back up the studio. I had actually, you know, built my own studio, fleshed it out in the basement, made it sound resistant. I don't want to say soundproof, but pretty solidly. I put a it's lot a, of work in it. It's a beautiful studio It's got space, a nice man. vibe in there. The walls are decorated. The walls are sound treated. Um, the walls and the floors floated to help tr- noise not transfer through. But so I've, I was like, all right, let's write something. And I didn't have any ideas. So I had a new plugin from Wave Software that does all kinds of weird like harmonies and stuff. And so I just started mumbling words until the first verse came out. Sometimes when you're in it, you don't know you're in it. I was like, what is it? I was like, ooh, this whole thing sounds anxious. I was like, I could make this about anxiety because I had suffered from it uh, for a while, and I knew that feeling. And so I just wrote this song too much that has almost kind of like a funk chorus in a way. It's got some some bouncing bass on there and stuff and funky guitars, but just about how feeling like you, you've had too much and you've had enough, now it's time to stand up and fight. And uh, if you're ever going to win this, if you're ever going to defeat it, you can't repeat it. you got to just fight through and not get sucked down into anxiety. Definitely, man. Yeah, you just got to, like, through the eye of a hurricane. Yes. You just got to go Plow right through. Th- yeah, go right through that. Up, over, or around. Yeah. Make it through. I went When I was on an aircraft carrier, we went through a hurricane. And that's what you had to do. You go through it, then the, you get to the eye of the storm. Yeah. And that thing was buttoned up, so it yeah, wasn't like you were... You know, like some dumbass. That's like, I mean, that thing was watertight. You yeah, know, you close man. it up, and it was like usually that thing you'd never feel it swaying. And you're, we'll, we'll talk about your boating experience. <laughs> I mean, you've been smaller boats in the ocean. Yeah, and I'd probably get seasick on those. That was the one time when I was feeling seasick. You were feeling it, huh? On on the boat, on the big boat. But, oh my um, goodness. But yeah, back to uh, back to the EP, yeah. and then you've got uh, song number five is. Is it Love Another or Love of Love Another? Love of Another. And love of that's another. my favorite song on there. It's just a little finger-picked yeah. acoustic guitar, intimate song, more like my original inspiration of my of my musical life, and that's Tom Petty. I would say it's very much along the lines of Tom Petty. And uh, it's just a personal feeling story, and uh, I, I love that one. It's got heart, I think. Definitely, and that's one that I can I really can see on a movie or something because now so. there's so much are you are you watching anything these days um i just started watching tulsa king i'm like three episodes in and it's really uh, good yeah i enjoyed yeah, that that's that was a cool. lot of fun uh, i'm watching have you watched uh last of us it's the zombie mm. uh the zombie um movie or zombie series based on I'm not the video game it's it's really good and they have that tone where there's songs mm. similar to love of another yeah. That just that nice singer songwriter, you know, yeah. little acoustic that fits really well under dialogue. It fits really well um, as a montage for images and whatnot. I'll have to check and out that show for I, sure. I totally can see your song in a show like that. That would be awesome. Um, you know, there's a number of scenes. That would um, be awesome. I mean, the thing that worried me about that song, while it is my favorite writing, I just. 
it's so intimate that it really counts on the vocal and I just don't feel like I'm the right singer for that song so I did it and then who knows maybe someday I'll have a a better singer sing it but I was just worried like Tom Petty's voice in there (laughs) that would have been amazing (laughs) yes and that would do the song justice but hopefully I'm at least getting it across the line enough that it's believable I've been a lost boy been gone for ages went down a dark road and there I waited on and there I waited on been friends with sorrow That one, I was just really enamored by that song. It's just oh, really thank you so much. Yeah, it's really touching. It was just something that it's like, yeah, this is this is solid. It was in your wheelhouse, you no, know. Thank so you it, so much. It wasn't you like you're not trying to belt out or sing mm-hmm. like like Steve Waller and right. hard rock. And I used to try that and I failed, and that's why I thought I sucked. When it, but when I got in the band with Jonathan Core, I saw how he was singing because he doesn't really belt. And I was like, wait a second. He's got a softer voice, and he pulls this off by backing off and not pushing so hard. Let me try that. And all of a sudden, the doors just open for me to be able to make my own music. Definitely. Yeah, no, it, yeah. It, it's great. Great EP. I'm enjoying it. it Thank uh, you. you. You know, solid work on that, my friend. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, everywhere. Yeah, Mike Steimel, Love of Another, five-song yeah. EP. <laughs> yeah, we'll put, uh, I'll put a link in with the show notes and everything else. Thank and, you, Ken. And then that way, you know, it's easy enough for the listeners to Appreciate jump it. on and listen to I it. I want to hear what people think about it. That's the most important thing. And, you know, you mentioned Duran Duran. It's so funny because I was like, where are you coming from with this? I was like, I guess that song too much. I guess I can kind of hear that, but I've never owned a Duran Duran album or listened other than hearing it on the radio but you know I, I was a teenager when they were hot so maybe it's soaked in there sometimes when you're in it you don't know you're in it sometimes we don't know if we're ever 
And then what's funny is three days ago, a friend of mine texted me and said, hey, I'm walking through an airport listening to your EP. You're not you're either going to love it or hate it. But I hear Duran Duran. I was like, what? And I was like, what? On the song Too Bad? He's like, no, on the single. Uh, never mind the start. So two different people, really? two different yeah, never songs. Never mind the start. OK. Yeah, I didn't hear it. But uh, there's a song called Come Undone. And I think he was thinking of this kind of. Uh, guitar groove with the slower beat on there was reminding him too. So that's funny that two different people, two different songs, both said Duran Duran, and I'm I'm not mad. 
<laughs> I just yeah, didn't so hear somehow, it coming. And it's more subtle, yeah. Duran Duran. It's not like her name is Rio or Hungry Like the Wolf. <laughs> it's like uh, maybe some of the songs off the Astronaut album. I think or you some just gave me, my, gave me my handle. A Subtle Duran Duran by Mike Steinwall. <laughs> yeah. A subtle Ken Calcutta, <laughs> a subtle Duran Duran. Ken Calcaterra, Conversations with Calcaterra. There you go. <laughs> like there you go. Elevate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, who's that guy? <laughs> exactly. I don't know. They might. You may not want to use that. They'll be like, oh, we're not going to listen to that song. <laughs> That Ken Calcaterra guy, what a goofball. <laughs> that's, that's funny. That's cool, man. It's so good to see you creating. How does your creative endeavors, how does that help you balance things out with a stressful job? You know, Ooh. you're working in IT, yeah. now project management. Yes. I mean, that's a, man, that's like a constant, constant, you know, constant grind. It's like constant details. It's like you always have to be on it, and you're, you're writing a song about anxiety. How <laughs> does that play out? How does one help another? Oh man, uh, I would say the the job makes it harder to make music. That's for sure. Because I would to be able to be have contiguous thoughts together on a song. You want to work on it a few nights in a row, and sometimes the job is just too intense. Leaves me nothing at night, and I just am basically done, crashed out yeah. on the couch at the end of the day. Yeah, creativity. You've got to kind of breathe creativity. Exactly. And when you're in, when you're dealing with details like that, it's hard to breathe at and times. And people and uh, anxious executives, <laughs> you know, <laughs> coming down on you on all sides of the of the yeah. wall there. But so it definitely is a challenge to make music when I'm working this job. However, uh, when it happens where I get a weekend and I'm I get to really write a song that I'm super proud of, it definitely helps put my mind at ease and makes me in a better mood when I go back to work and I realize, okay, this is how I make the money to support myself, to give me that studio space yeah. and give me the tools that I need to be able to make music. So uh, it's, I guess, making music and, or deep sea fishing, whatever, those are the kind of rewards that make it worth working so hard at the day job. Yeah, but on a, like a spiritual level, how does that, making that music and communicating some of those things or maybe maybe uh, exercising some of those sure. things. How does that, when you're writing songs about that, I mean, how does that, does it help you deal with your anxiety I when you th- communicate? I think so. Yeah, I think so, absolutely, because I think a lot of people have anxiety and or stress about work or whatever it is. But And so instead of like trying to make up, you know, some fake world and telling how awesome I am in a song, I'm like, just be real and tell what I'm really thinking and feeling and getting that out there really helps because I'm sure that when somebody listens to that, they might relate themselves and they may not, but somebody might. And so I feel think that is healthy to uh, put your real thoughts out there. Not that I don't have plenty of made up thoughts and situations on this <laughs> album because I didn't want it to be uh, it, just my real life, which is not very exciting. I gave myself license to be ridiculous and tell ridiculous stories as if they're mine. But, but that's the cool thing about art, interpreting art, and those messages, they're there, but they're pretty subtle. Um, and it's something that now that you've told me some of the stories behind the songs, that when I listen to it, I'm, of course, going to listen to it a different way. Because when we had dinner a week or so ago, it was like you were, oh, yeah, and this was about this, and this was about, oh, and this was about this. And I'm like, oh, I didn't quite pick that up. And and that's the cool thing about what I see is great art is everybody's going to interpret it differently Absolutely. and you're going to pick up and, and some of it's what's going on in your life at that time. Yeah. Some of it is what's, you, you know, what you, you know, you experienced before. And exactly. some of it is, is things that you're, you're learning 
you know, in the future. And that's why I love just hearing songwriters talk about their work. Me too. I love hearing songwriters talk about their work for sure. And one of the best things I ever heard somebody in the music industry say, it was actually a very successful manager, band manager. He said, uh, art or humor can both be defined by taking two things that don't seem to be connecting and connecting them and making a third thing. And I thought, man, that is really cool. That is an awesome quote. I got to make a mark of that one and put that in the promo material. Yes. That's killer, because, my man. Yeah, I mean, because if you make music that is, you, nobody makes unique music, it wouldn't sound like music. It wouldn't sound like anything listenable. So uh, it's taking things that already exist and connecting them and putting them together in a new way and connecting them to something that, or a topic that doesn't seem to be related and making a new thing uh, out of things that already exist. And that's art and that's humor. You make a joke where you uh, put something in a new perspective. It's the same thing. It's like cooking as well, because you don't have typically new ingredients, per se. Right, they exist. Like, you have the same spices, you have the same herbs, you have the same, you know, proteins. And it's how you combine those, and that's where music is, you have the same notes on different instruments, so they sound differently, and it's how you put those different, you know, those different notes together, those instruments together, and what recipe, you know, you're creating your own you know, your own recipe and all that. And it's just, it's fascinating. So and you're like, the words exist. Like I'm not making up new words. <laughs> so it kind of songwriting is just, and producing music. It's just about choices, choosing from things that already exist and putting them together. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it's great when you have that human element. Cause now I was having a conversation with somebody recently about all this AI yeah. and I'm staying away from the I AI know. artwork because I know so many amazing artists and I want to see what they interpret through, you know, their life experiences and all that. So I don't know if that's that's probably something I'll. I mean, out of just principle, I'll probably stay away yeah. from. But it's and it's tempting because it I, I it's some of those pictures people are posting on Facebook and whatnot are super it's weird. Cool. The whole but, thing's weird, man. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> man, it's weird. But now talking about also, you know, when you talk about breaking away, so the music's a way to break away from the yes, you know, from the grind of the, uh, you know, I would say nine to five, but I know you're working, <laughs> you're working much more than yes. that. But also, you uh, you just mentioned it, deep sea fishing. Yes. When did you get into deep sea fishing? Like about a year ago, a little, little over a year ago when my wife and I bought a boat. We have a place in Florida, and we go there in the summer. And uh, my parents went in on a little 21-foot center console boat with us. And while I had never – I had fished on lakes when I was a kid – and caught my first fish when I was five when my dad took me fishing. And then, you know, we grew up on a lake um, and catching bass. But I didn't fish probably from the time I was 10 until over 50. <laughs> and uh, But when I did, I got out there, I was just like, oh, my gosh, just got addicted so quickly. And now I have about eight fishing rods for all different purposes, a boat, all kinds of gear. And just that's how I like to spend my weekends when I'm in Florida in the summer. And while I'm sure I'm taking Amy out there way more than she wants to, my wife Amy, she's so good. She's usually the one that is the the one that catches the bait while I'm keeping us from crashing into the other boats at the bait spot. Uh And she's usually the one that will put the hook in the big mahi or big fish. And then uh, I maybe have to help her land it a little bit, but it's usually her luck that uh, catches the best fish. See, some guys would just say, I'm catching all the best fish, but you're, you're telling the truth, man. You're, yeah, she's, it's her. She's, Amy's she reeling them in. It. Yeah, she's reeling them in. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And 
you're no stranger to the ocean having uh you know back in the day when you were a young buck yep out of was this during high school or out of high school when right you were treasure hunting? Of, right out of high school right uh, after of, my first year of college okay i became a treasure diver how professional did that come treasure about? diver well it started with a movie, The Deep, I saw when I was probably about seven years old. Nick Nolte, Jacqueline Bissett, set in Bermuda. And then ironically, it is, or coincidentally, the ship they're diving on there off Bermuda is the one that supposedly escaped the sinking or that treasure uh, from the one that I would actually go on to dive on later, yeah. just coincidentally. But I saw that when I was a kid, and it just stuck in my mind. Like, I want to be a treasure hunter. I always wanted a metal detector, wanted to be a treasure diver. I didn't know that was a job, but I had seen it on television, Jacques Cousteau, and a few shows, because in the 80s, there were not a lot of shows about treasure hunting like there are now on every channel. But uh, So I just kept talking about it, talking about it. People were like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to be a treasure diver. How are you going to do that? I have no idea. <laughs> so I just kept talking about it, and finally, somebody goes, I know a guy, and he's from St. Louis. And I had seen his book like on the, on, at a coin shop, and knew who he was and had seen him mentioned in, in magazines and stuff. I didn't know he was from St. Louis. And uh, so I got introduced to him And then just, when I was 18 and, or maybe even 17. And I just started calling him every couple of weeks. Hey, Roy, you know, I'm a certified diver because I got certified when I was 14 and got my advanced open water certification my freshman year of college. I was like, Roy, I'm good with a metal detector. I'm a good diver. And it's been my dream to work on treasure, you know, on a treasure shipwreck. And he's like, yeah, okay, kid, I got a full crew next year. There's already seven of us. We're all good, but let's stay in touch. So I just called him every two weeks, just persistently, month after month after month, until finally he's like, all right, be at this address in Florida, May 15th. You showed that was him you were serious. Yeah, yep. nice. I did show him I was serious. That's great, man. Because sometimes people express an interest, and then you never hear from them. Exactly. And, and for him to, uh, I guess, uh, see that, put yeah. that time in to, yeah. you know, take you serious that you're going to drive down and, yeah. and hunt for treasure, you know, and <laughs> in my and, 1966 Mustang. Yeah, and you were living. Were you living on the boat? I Is lived on the boat me? the first two summers. Yeah. Wow. How was that? Um, not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> I lived on a boat, but yeah. it was an aircraft carrier. So yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, that bigger. was, that was a small city. So that's right. a little different. Yeah, this than was different. Living on, how big was the boat you were this on? This first one, the first year was a 50 foot, uh, former Navy Vietnam war relic, um, like a PT r- river boat? patrol boat, river really? patrol boat. It was made of Kevlar and it smelled like diesel down there where we slept. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. That's wild, man. Yeah, so slept on that, and it was fine, you know, not not ideal. The next year, well, he had a deal, uh, an investor was actually buying that boat from us that next year, so he bought a new boat the next year, which was uh, a 30-foot boat with just a tiny cabin, like this old-school-looking fishing boat, and there's room for one person in the cabin. Like the boat on Jaws? Yes. Like one of those? But smaller. <laughs> I mean, the tiny... We're going to need a bigger boat. So it, was, it wasn't even a cabin. It was a wheelhouse. So I slept in the wheelhouse. Whoa. And we're talking, I was making $100 a week and free bologna sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but at least in great. 88, gas prices were, yeah. what, like probably 75 cents? Yeah, it was pretty close to that. Yeah, but still, you yeah. know, that's... Uh, yeah, it was a sacrifice to do something you love. What's For sure. Um, what's, uh, like, the coolest treasure that you found? Well, um just coins. I love coins mm-hmm. and shipwreck coins. 
In my career, I found seven gold coins, and the shipwreck was from 1715, so everything you were finding that was of the right era was 1715 or older. Mm -hmm. And so I found seven gold coins probably during my career, if I'm remembering right, and then probably at least a 1,000 silver coins, and every single one of them was special and like a thrilling moment because you might go 40 days without finding anything, and you're not working like 9 to 5 Monday through Friday, you work every single day, you go out as long as the weather will allow you, and you're just getting exhausted. You're out there in the sun, and at the end of the day, you're just beat down, and then you still got to clean up the boat and put things away and fill air tanks and all that stuff, and charge metal detectors, <laughs> all the things. But uh, I loved it, and uh, so you know the experience of going so long between finds, and then all of a sudden, boom, there is a gold coin laying there on the bottom of the ocean and you are the only person in the world that knows it exists it was last lost by someone 300 years ago and you pick it up and you're just like is this real did somebody just throw this fake gold coin down here and then you can just tell no this is real and i'm about to go up there to that boat full of bored and frustrated guys and make their day like hey guys look at this that's a thrilling moment when you get to come up and do that that's so cool and you you have uh were you able to, I know that you were hunting to sell that treasure, you had investors, but did you ever find anything that's a memento that you were able to keep that you still have? Yeah, now you would typically get to pottery finds and things like that, and musket balls were so common back then, you would get get to occasionally keep a, you know, an artifact like that. But that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool, definitely, and ballast stones, so I've got ballast stones and pottery and a few musket balls, but when it comes to the coins, you had to turn those all in, because it wasn't just you know, the boss and investors, the state is involved. You have to turn those in, uh, log everything, tag everything, turn it into the state. Um, well, to uh, Mel Fisher and his company was the one that owned the, the rights to the wreck, turn it into them. They turn it into the state. State takes 20%, catalogs everything, and if there's any crazy unique artifacts, that's what they're going to take and put in their museum. Um, then they give it back to Mel Fisher organization, they take half of what's left, the 40% of the 80%. Um, and then you get what's left, the, you know, the boss man gets that, and he raised money, so he sold a percentage of that. And then out of what's left, <laughs> you get your, your little scraps. But I did end up with you know, probably a handful of silver coins over the years, and some of which I sold because I was a broke kid, but I wish I had them all back now. A friend of mine recently sent me a picture of one that I sold him. I was like, can you sell me that back? Especially for what <laughs> you paid back then. <laughs> He's like, hell no. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm just kidding. But if you ever want to sell it, let me know. Yeah. It all sounds like what you just talked about as well, like songwriting royalties and co-writes yes. and all that. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of yeah. pieces well, of the pie to slice up. There's a lot. Up. There's a lot. So what's next? What's next for you with music? Um you know, are you going to do any more treasure hunting or just just fishing and creating music uh, in your free time when you're away from work? Well, I would love to go treasure hunting. And as a matter of fact, a old diving buddy of mine from way back who never quit and is still out there plugging away. He told me about uh, that uh, he's getting on with the crew that's going to work the Jupiter wreck. That's like the 1654 wreck off Jupiter, Florida. And I've always wanted to work that wreck. He's like, I need five full-time divers this summer. I'm like, Oh, can I win the lottery so that I can go <laughs> yeah. do that for a job? 
Yeah, there, uh, and I th- would. There's no way you could just get a reminiscent day where you uh, go down for a day. Just maybe, to, maybe. But I, if it was like my old crew that I used yeah. to work with, the whole crew, I used to get to go do that occasionally. I'd get to go spend a week with them, and mm-hmm. that was awesome. But all those folks are passed away now. But yeah. And then probably my buddy Ace, who will you know just be one of the crew on this one, as far as I know. It might not. Ha- I don't know if they, they would be comfortable letting me on or not. But I would too much liability. And exactly. All that these but we'll days. see. You know, it's you, not the eighties anymore. Think about like, it. It's not the eighties exactly. or nineties. I didn't are different. think about that, but I am going to check because I'm going to be down there this summer, there and it's go. not I mean, very right, far. Right, yeah, right there. Right, right there. there but and then when I told my wife Amy about that opportunity, she's like, like "You yeah. think you still can?" I'm like, "Of course." Yeah. Well, maybe some stuff hurts now, and it might not be a good idea to yeah, do yeah. that full time. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. not full time. Just do a yeah. couple. You know, just. I get, would love to get out there and just dive a little get bit. Enough to get the taste back in exactly. your mouth. Exactly. Just find a coin, man. I would love to find a coin, but so so I'm not going to be treasure hunting most likely, gotcha. um, but I am. My goal is to do five more songs and put together, take the five I already did and make a full album, and then would love to play a show. But, man, with the job and then being gone for two to three months this summer, I don't know if I can pull that off this year, but if I could pull off the five more songs and make the full album and then maybe a show next year, that would be awesome. But then, of course, now that I uh, rattled the cages, there's some co-writing opportunities coming up that I probably should take advantage of a little bit here first. So yeah. we'll see. I want to do more writing for sure. Good. And uh, see what I can do next. Since I feel like I kind of up my game on this EP, how much further can I take it? There you go. Or worse, we'll see. Well, <laughs> it's been great working with you. This has uh, been a treat just chatting with you about these and recording it. So yeah, we'll have this. Uh, we'll listen to this in 30 years when we're like... <laughs> super old geezers and uh like there'll be no way i can ever get into the ocean again to treasure hunt and so i just have I'll to just soak my feet what is yeah what is listen to ken's podcast so yeah That's thank right. you so much buddy it's uh great and I look forward to more collaborating with you to help bring your uh your songs to life thank you so much i appreciate everything you've always done for me and this was really fun you're a great host i appreciate it I-